Hey guys, I'm Ivana. I'm Derek. And this is Till Til Kingdom, Kingdom Come. And we're still in Miami, so we're just going to podcast. And we've been chilling with family, which is cool. If you're watching on YouTube, my hair is way darker. We don't know if it'll be here next week or not, but make sure you check it out. <laughs> we have been discussing a lot about the topic of reacting versus responding mm. and like what it says about your faith. And I think you're really good to talk about this, and then I'll piggyback off of you. So do you want to, like, sort of explain what we're talking about? Sure. Okay, go for it. It's a great topic. Thanks, I picked it. (laughs) Reaction is what the world does whenever crisis emits. Responding is what a believer is called to do whenever crisis hits. And I have history with God where my response to a situation was contrary to the natural reaction to a situation. But before I even talk about my own experience, I think it's only right to show biblical reference. And the first biblical reference that I thought of was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So why don't we say their names like in Jewish? Why do they say Like, why don't they say their Jewish names? Why do they say their Egyptian names? Sorry, rabbit trail. Come back. Yeah, rabbit trail. Come back. Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and and Abednego. And so, for me, Daniel is a really powerful book. And in itself, chapter 3, the the conflict between Nebuchadnezzar and and the three brothers are, or three friends, or Daniel's friends are really, you know, I don't want to get lost in that either, but... The, the conflict between them comes to a crisis point where they are either going to claim Nebuchadnezzar as God or not. And I love the conflict because now they're at a position where Nebuchadnezzar is like, well, who is this God that would probably save you? And I love their response because their response says in Daniel 3... Verse 16, they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Even if he doesn't. I love that. It's beautiful because... They're testifying both to God's superiority. They're testifying to God's perfect will. They're testifying to who they know God to be and who they know is not God. And this is as they're standing before the fiery furnace that was increased seven times more that killed the men that were handling the furnace. And... Obviously, we don't have language for that right this moment, you or I, you know, like where we have faced martyrdom in in our present world, you or I. But let's just take that in context, right? So three kids, probably in their late teens, are standing in front of a furnace and they're about to die because they believe in God. And their response was, I'm still not going to tell you who this God is. I'm going to tell you that he can save me. But even if he doesn't, I just want you to know, King, I don't serve you or your gods. And it's such a profound uh, position to be as a believer because it's what they wouldn't say, 
It's how they didn't react. And it's what they believed going into the fire. And I think those three things are keys for all believers to understand how conflict should be approached. And obviously we know the story. There was another in the fire. Hashtag cue the um, good song. Amanda Cook. Yes. But the reality is many times believers find themselves in a Nebuchadnezzar situation where either direct authority, spiritual authority, principalities, they, they come against the natural grain of their life and they're met at a crossroad and the decision that they have to make is whether or not that crossroad is going to force them to react or that's going to force them to respond. Yeah. And so before I even give my own share of testimonies, what do you feel about that? Well, I think this is one of the things that I've really learned from you. I'm the type of person that like specific things will shake me. So for example, like we were in California and the motorhome's not turning on and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're going to be stuck here forever. And what are we going to do? How are we going to pay for it? Like I tend to set my own mind as to how things should go. And that's when the Lord's like, no, I'm your God. And I think even for me, the scripture of that, and it was something that was like just constantly on my heart and my, like the meditation of my mind was Psalms 31, 14 and 15. And and it, it says for you are my God and my times are in your hands. Mm. And then it goes on to like talking about being delivered and I should probably read it. Let's just read it. Okay. Let's just give you, um, meat rather than Ivana's translation. Psalm 31 verse 14 says, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. I think a lot of the times it's like understanding that God's plans aren't my plans and his thoughts are higher and his ways are higher. And although I have a specific way, I think things should go. I have to humble myself to the fact that I'm under a good shepherd, that he is my God. Like my whole life is in his hands. And once I've given my life, it belongs to him. And so I think through our our journey um, in California and coming here and all the things that have happened, I've watched you not react, but respond and respond in faith. And as a husband, it's it's so beautiful that you lead me that way because when I freak out, you're like, babe, it's going to be fine. And like, I know that sometimes like it could shake you, that transition shakes me but you've been so rooted that it's taught me like the next time the bill came for the motorhome, I was like, Oh, God's going to show up. Like Mm -hmm. this is going to be for his glory. And so it showed me a lot about the beliefs that I had. So for example, like if we didn't have the money to pay for the bill, I would be like, how are we going to do this? And not necessarily think of God as my provider or that he cared enough to do it or, or that he would provide a way. And so you, you think of Romans eight twenty eight, and it's like, if he really uses all things for my good, because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose, then he's going to use it for his good and he's going to get the glory. So it's going to be more of, of me learning to submit my timing and learning to die and the understanding that I can respond in faith rather than react and open up a door to fear of like, we're not going to have the money or this is going to happen. Or I think anything in general, I was having this conversation with my mom yesterday, but I have to have the second surgery for my mouth. Uh Um, if you don't know about this, check out like, (laughs) I don't even know how many months back in our podcast, but, uh, we're believing in faith that I won't have to, Right. but even if I have to, then God's a healer and he's a provider because he's done it before. And at that point, the enemy wanted to put a lie in my head that because the way I lived my life before I was saved, 
I would get sick. And I had a choice in that moment to react or to respond. And their reaction would have been like, oh my gosh, you're right. But the response was actually doing spiritual math and being like, all my sins have been forgiven. Yes. And God's a healer and he wants to heal me because there's a stripe on his son's back. And so I'm not going to open up the door to fear. And it takes a lot of renewing your mind. I think so many people overlook that. I think I overlook that. Like the understanding that just because I was justified and I'm being sanctified, my mind has to be renewed Mm. to the things of the Lord. It has to be renewed to a new thinking pattern. And it's honestly a choice of mine because I have free will to make the choice. And so I think that's one of those things that I've really learned, like in the face of trial, tribulation, temptation, whatever may come, would I respond the way that Christ does and hearing his voice and then responding that way and doing the things that he does or in my flesh have a panic attack, you know, which praise God, I don't suffer from that. And if you do, we're definitely praying for you because that's not fun. But I think that understanding and what you said is key. It's like, I have the reward of heaven. I have Jesus. So even if like I have to have another surgery, even if we wouldn't have the money to pay it, which praise God, it continues to come in because God's faithful. Or even if the worst case scenario happened, then he's still my God. And I have everything I need in him. And, and that's just something that is counterculture. And that's what makes unbelievers be like, why? Why did you respond like that? And we're like, well, because we know who we believe in. Because we're living for a heavenly homeland. Because there's more than this life for us. Because we get to live as Christ. Because he is faithful and he's shown up. And so I think it's one of those things that it, it's a heart work. It's, it's not, that, it's not mm-hmm. that it's hard work. It's a heart work that you have to allow the Lord to work with you. And sometimes it takes those uncomfortable conversations of like, Lord, why do I feel this way? Why don't I trust you with my finances? Why yeah. do I not believe you'll heal me? And then walking that out with him because he's patient. He's not scared of questions. Yeah. That's so good, baby. Something kind of formulated as you were speaking. Believers are called to be slaves to one thing or slaves to righteousness. Yeah. And I think that Christianity, especially watered-down Christianity, has given, given believers a right to be a slave to the outcome. So they've masked faith and hope into what is to come versus that faith and hope are, the one, are, are in the one who already came. And so we see Christians that become slaves to outcome rather than slaves to righteousness. So that whether or not the outcome is a yay or a nay, I'm still right before God, which makes me right before man. You're still a son. Like, it doesn't change anything. I recently read Lauren Cunningham's book. I have been talking about it to, to, I've been talking about it to my wife for weeks now. I need Um, to read it. Apparently um, so do you. um, The title of the book is, Is That Really You, God? And one of the biggest, one of the biggest factors of their, I guess, a period of their, of, of YWAM's growth, but also a period of YWAM's like recession was the fact that they had put all their chips in the table, saw God show up in miraculous ways, but the outcome didn't turn out the way that they thought. And blessed be our Lord that it didn't turn out the way that it was, that they had intended because if they would have received the ship, they would have left God behind. And that's a scary thing 
So when we maximize all of our effort and our faith in the outcome, we lose sight of the one who provides the outcome anyway. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to say one more thing, which was, you know, I believe that the lifestyle of a, of a believer is supposed to mimic Holy Spirit's two attributes, which is the Holy Spirit is like the wind and Holy Spirit's like water. And that we should have flexibility and fluidity in our life. And I thought, I thought about Psalm 1, where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. And um, it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And I thought to myself, like, we are trees that are flexible and bendable. We are we have pathways that don't often go in one route. And the believer's response to the way life turns out, like it should mimic like the, the center of God's will, which when you look at even Christ's life in the two and a half years of ministry that he did, you can see that the, that the route system, even, even the route system to Samaria, like it threw off everybody. Because they were familiar with the route and they decided that it was best to just go the way that they always went. But when believers live a life of adventure unto the Lord, which is which should look like a joyride, the 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 expectation or the outcomes, they get far less appetizing and the journey itself becomes a lot more exciting because you've decided that no outcome will ever rob you of your actual encounter with God on the journey. Yeah, I think one of the things you say often, which was really challenging at the beginning, but I'm seeing this now, it's like there really are no delays in the kingdom. Like you're not going to miss out because you're not somewhere or because you're like listening to the Lord and he said, go somewhere else or do something else. I think when you follow the Lord in that way, you'll be able to see him move a brand new way. Like he'll surprise you. We were at the beach and I'm tanning with my mom and Derek sitting on a chair. We weren't expecting to evangelize. Like this was just us being available. And somebody walked up to Derek and asked him if he had been at a club last night. And we're all like, kind of listening but then you took the opportunity to just share the gospel with him and he, he rededicated his life to christ and and it was because there was no delays like we were actually going to go to the beach early in the morning and then a million things came up and so we went like in the afternoon and it felt like an inconvenience to my flesh like not the guy but the fact that we were late felt yeah. like an inconvenience to my flesh but it was actually because there was a divine meeting that wanted to happen. Like the Lord wanted to meet him at the beach because he confused you with somebody else he saw at a club. Yeah. And you can't make up those stories. Like I think one of the things I'm learning is that living by faith, it just really means like I'm going to take heart because you've overcome and I'm just going to follow you and I'm going to trust that you're going to work it out. And so every single time there's been a delay or something's gone wrong and I want to react and like, I don't know, self-protect or like figure it out by myself, the Lord reminds me like, you're supposed to depend on me. Like I want to show you. And a lot of people, I think we've mentioned this before, but Francis Chan says it in his book, like a lot of people will never experience certain aspects of God because they'll never step out in faith. There's a, a new covenant and in the old covenant you see it too, but a call over the believer to live by such faith and that it's like a spectrum of faith, whatever. You know, like we live on the Lord and 
we're constantly moving our stuff is in storage and that's not for everyone uh -huh. but there is an ask as a believer to live like christ and that means like you're depending on the lord you're growing in dependency you're you're looking at the father and doing what he says and and what do you see him do and it's not for the faint-hearted but it it's definitely like an adventure. I think when I view it like an adventure, it's easier rather than like my whole life is being shaken. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, this is fun. And when I'm 70, I'm going to look back and be like, we did the thing. I think American Christianity has dialed the epitome of Christianity to confession and not exercising or practicing faith. I think we confess our faith, but we don't exercise or practice faith. And exercising and practicing faith have so much more of a reward on the other side of that expression because you're partnering with every single member of the Bible, including Christ himself. It's like the hall of faith. You get yeah. added onto the hall of faith. Yeah. And so you have to be able to understand somebody else's reaction before you, before you respond. Because if you don't, then you will, like, you will sear we were talking about this in another podcast, you're going to sear your conscience to how they feel. It's, it's important for us to be able to pause for a second and really understand what's happening so that we don't react to a situation, to you know, a person. Because if we, if we jump into reaction mode, then it means that we really yeah. didn't pay attention to what was happening. Yeah, that's such a good example, babe. I think one of the things that I'm reminded is I read this book and I think it's called Seven Habits of Highly Successful of people. Highly Successful People. And I read this like years and years ago, but it talks about it how your responsibility is to respond. Mm. Like reaction is just something natural that comes, but you can choose the response. And it's like submitting your will to God's will and responding the way that He responds. And so it's the understanding that although you could have every right to react a certain way, you can submit your flesh and humble yourself before the Lord and just respond that way that he would because it shows trust to an unbelieving world. So I think that's my practical. Just choose to respond like Christ. Yeah. And I practical would be slow down. Take a breath. Take a breather. Ask yourself, is this happening to me? Is this happening to God's plan? Is this the enemy? Is this God? Like these are these are really easy questions to ask because if you don't slow down, then you'd be trying to get ahead of God. That's good. Well, I think we're gonna leave it there. Yeah. We love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in again. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to send us questions or podcast Respond topics. To this to this podcast <laughs> by commenting down below. I love you. <laughs> um, we'll see you guys next week. We love you. Love you.